morning, everyone. How are you? Thank you so much, David. What a beautiful worship this morning. Um, morning, New Village Church. My name is Jason Soto. I'm fl- I'm happy to be with you. I was in I was in New York uh, for my sister's wedding, and um, and then the opportunity came to come and preach with you guys, and I was excited. So I'm so happy to be here. Um, my name is Jason. I'm married to my wife, Jeanette. We've been married for 24 years. She, wa- she wished she could be here today. She had to fly back to San Diego. I'm a, I am a pastor at a church in San Diego, California called uh, Catalyst Church. Uh, San Diego is this place. It's like it's, uh, it's you go there on vacation, and it's about as close, I think, to the promised land as I can kind of think of. It's like... Go there, it's beautiful weather and beautiful beaches, and you're just like, this is fantastic. I'm never coming back. <laughs> uh, it's kind of what happened to us. We, <laughs> we flew out there, we're on vacation, and then came back to New York. And it's like, all right, well, done New York. So I grew up in New York. I'm New York in 30, th- I've been in New York 33 years of my life before moving to San Diego. Uh, San Diego, we've been in uh, ministry for the past 10 years in San Diego, um, served with a couple new churches out there and um, actually served with a Christian ministry that helps the homeless. So one of the, thing with this, one of the things with San Diego, beautiful weather, beautiful stuff, it's also attractive for uh, if you're experiencing homelessness, say, well, there's good weather out there, I can do that. So I've, I've served with uh, in a Christian ministry for seven years, helping the homeless and those dealing with drug, drug and substance abuse issues substance abuse recovery, and um, seeing some amazing fruit come out of that. Just seeing God change lives is amazing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful testimony to the continued work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Uh, you see somebody come in who's just completely broken, just completely in a place where um, just feeling hopeless, right? just feeling stuck, and just feeling like there's no hope, there's no, no way out. And to see God just change that life and transform that life over a year once they've you know, committed their life and faith to Christ, it's, it's an amazing, amazing testimony to the continued work of God and people. I, I want to talk this morning about being worthy. And I was excited. The, our first, our first uh, worship song, we talk about worthy is the lamb that was slain. Uh, I think worthy is kind of this interesting thing. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. Um, when you think about, am I worthy of, of something, right? Is, is this, am I worthy to, to, to be uh, with this particular thing? It, it's, it's, it's this interesting dynamic of a word. As I, was, as I was thinking about this, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live, and there's this skit on Sa- Saturday Night Live. There's these, these two comedians, a guy named Wayne and Garth, you know, Wayne's World. And so what, the, what would happen is they'd, they'd see like a, uh, They'd see some 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 uh, like rock star they idolized, right? And they'd see him and they'd go, "We're not worthy. We're not worthy." That was funny to me. It was <laughs> it was so so it, it's it reminded me of that as I was as I was um, as I was watching that. And the truth is really that none of us are worthy. The truth is, the, truth, the Bible tells us that there is only one who is worthy, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about worthy is the lamb that was slain, he is the one who is worthy. But what does that mean exactly? How do we know 
what it means to be worthy. How do we know that Jesus is the one who is worthy? We're going to be looking in the last book, whoop, last book of our Bible, book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can just turn right to the last book, and we'll be in the book of Revelation this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. So if you, have, if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 5, and we'll be doing the first five verses of Revelation chapter 5. And, wa- and I want to know as you're looking at this, what does it mean that Jesus is worthy? What does that mean? So Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and we'll read five verses. The Apostle John he's, has his vision of heaven, and this is what he says. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would just open our minds and open our hearts this morning, God, as we look at your word. Thank you, God, for what you have revealed, Lord, what you tell your people. I pray, Lord, that we would have an open heart and open mind to receive your word this morning. Help me, O Lord, as I speak, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at some ways here and how the Lord Jesus is worthy. Is it, you see this interesting thing here with this angel proclaiming who is worthy. We're going to take a look at that. The first thing here as we... As we, as we talk about this, and if you're taking notes, the first, the first point here is that the Lord Jesus is worthy to bring judgment on the earth. The Lord Jesus is worthy to bring judgment on the earth. I know it's kind of jarring as you, as you listen to that. You're like, Jason, we just met. And you're already talking about judgment. What are you doing? Just follow with me here. The Lord Jesus is worthy to bring judgment on the earth. I want to know first what's happening here in the text. This text, is, as, we're, as we're going through these five verses, the question is, who is worthy to do this? The angel proclaims with his loud voice, who is worthy to open this scroll and to break its seals? And the prophet, what he does, the prophet, the apostle John, he sees this and he weeps. Because there's no one, no angel, no man, no saint, no one that is found worthy. And an elder points to the one who is worthy. And what does it mean to be worthy? The word that, we're, the word that they use here in the, 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 to describe this is a Greek word called axios. And what it, what it, if you can think of this word, you can think of a scale. 
And so as they're talking about being worthy, they're, they're comparing two things. You'll really see this in Romans chapter 8. So if you look at Romans 8.18, you're really going to get an idea of what this word, what, this, what the sense of this word is. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, right? So you have on this one side of the scale, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So it says, the sufferings of this time are not worth, they don't, they don't compare they don't, it doesn't come into equilibrium. It's not equivalent. The sufferings of this present time are not worth compared to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And so you have this question where we're talking about, is someone, is someone worthy? Who is equivalent? So what, what the angel is saying Angel is asking, who is equivalent? Who is, who is comparable to the power? Who, uh, this, who can stand up to open this scroll? Who has the power, the majesty? Who is worthy? Who compares? Who is worthy to open this, the scroll of God? The question is now, what is the scroll? See, as we're looking at prophecy, when you're looking at prophetic languages, you want to start asking questions about, okay, what is what is what is the prophet seeing? The scroll, there's a couple of things we know about this scroll. We know it contains revelation from God. The one seated on the throne, verse 1, in the right hand is, is holding this scroll. And there's writings on both sides. So there's some sort of revelation. There's, there's a revelation of something within this scroll. And it takes someone of comparable worth someone of comparable perfection to open it. And we know the consequences. It's when the scroll is open, the seals are broken, Revelation 6 through 8 kind of takes us through the consequences of this scroll. The consequences are judgment. So you go through Revelation 6 through 8, you have these seals, there's four horsemen of the apocalypse, they're kind of four Pop, the four famous guys, <laughs> four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they and the, what you have is famine and 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 disease and warfare and and the, there's an antichrist that comes up first, and there's all these different things that are, that result consequence of this scroll being open, and then it goes into trumpets and bold judgments, and then it talks about seven seals. This this number of seven in the Bible it often talks about completeness. So there is, so the so God created the world in seven days, and the seventh day He rested and is complete. And so this this judgment, when it's done, it's complete. It's from God. And the angel says, "Who is worthy?" And it causes the prophet to weep. Because no one is found worthy. And why is he weeping? Why is he, why is he weeping? And here's an interesting thing with this scroll. When we talk about judgment, it doesn't sound good, but the judgment is necessary. 
it is necessary to open this scroll. It's a cause for weeping that no one was found worthy to open it. It's necessary to go through. You can think of it this way. Once you think of a, and, and I hate to bring up this analogy because we've been talking about viruses for so long, I'm kind of tired of talking about viruses. But uh, well, one more time, it just illustrates this. <laughs> you think of a body that's, kind of in, that, that's been infected with a virus. The, the virus has come and it's been infected. There is a necessary sickness process that has to occur before the healing can come, before the restoration comes. There's this process. It, things are going to get worse before they get better. And what's happened is God is going to deal with the destructive consequences of sin upon the earth. He's dealt with the main virus, the cause. He's dealt with that on the cross. But the Bible tells us of this time coming where God is going to finally deal with all the consequences, all, the, all the, the heartaches, all the pain, all of the suffering, all those things. They're finally going to come to a head. God is going to deal with it all, and there's going to be this restoration process. And that's necessary. And there is no angel in heaven, there is no man on earth, there is no saint from the past that was worthy to bring this judgment, to bring this necessary restoration process. But the elder says, there is one, the Son of Man. He is worthy. The Lord Jesus is worthy to bring judgment. And you see this, uh, Jesus talks about how he judges. You're gonna, if you're in John, go to the book of John, chapter 5, and you're going to see Jesus talking about the way that, the way that he, he judges. And, and you'll, you'll see this, I'm going to point at two, two different verses here, where he discusses his judgment and how his judgment is worthy. In John, chapter 5, and I'll actually open it to here. John chapter 5, verse 27. John, Jesus has been talking about how he gives life, how the Father gives life through him. And in verse 27, he says this, and, and he, the Father, has granted him, the Son, the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. And we go down to verse 30. Jesus says this. He says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will. But the will of him who sent me. My judgment is just. Because I don't seek my own will. I seek the will of the one who sent me. The Son of God has the right to judge. It's, a, it's granted to him from the Father. The Son gets the right for judgment over the from the Father. And it is perfectly aligned. It is perfectly, integrally aligned with what the Father, how the Father would judge. We serve one God in three persons. And 
it is when the son judges it is perfectly aligned with the father there is no division and so when the son brings judgment his judgment is perfect his judgment is right it's true and it's aligned the lord jesus it's worthy to bring judgment upon the earth. And there's this interesting misconception. If you ever talk to somebody about God and they, and they, uh, they, they, something you'll hear them say sometimes when they're discussing God in the Bible, they'll say that Old Testament God, he's, he's kind of this grumpy, angry dude. He kind of is into, he's into rules and I don't really like that guy. That guy's a, the guy in the Old Testament. I don't know, man. He floods the earth. He does stuff. He's, I don't know. But New Testament, I like that guy. <laughs> that guy, he's loving. He wouldn't hurt. He wouldn't hurt a fly. He's kind of like this this loving, hippie peace guy, peace and love, and he doesn't want to hurt anyone. This, this, I'm with that guy. And what's interesting, the Bible, what the Bible does, it talks about one God. For instance. You're talking about the God of the New Testament, and you want to describe him in one particular way, you're going to have to totally ignore 85% of the Revelation. Because the Bible talks about a God that is that loves for us, that cares, us, that shows mercy, that is grace. And also it talks about a God that is holy, that is righteous, and that brings judgment. And we have a God that completely loves us. And a God that is righteous and holy and is just in his judgment. And judgment, when we're talking about, what is this? I said, the Lord is worthy to bring judgment upon the earth. And what is judgment? We know that judgment is only as good as the person judging. In, in 2009, there was a news story about a, a judge. His name is Mark Chivarella. He's a judge. He's in Pennsylvania. And what this judge does, he sentences, he's, he's a judge who sentences juveniles. And he sentences about 3,000 children for months of detention after they had committed all these minor infractions. And this, this judge has later found out they do an investigation and has found out that he had been accepting $2.2 million as a finder's fee for a facility, the same facility that he was sending all these kids to. And he ends up getting sentenced for 28 years in prison. And when the truth comes out about what he was doing, 2,400 convictions get overturned. See, we understand that judgment needs the judgment's only as good as the person judging. Injustice, when we see injustice, is a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing. And the judgment that comes, the judgment that's finally going to bring about the restoration to the world has to come from someone who is perfect. The judgment is only as good as the one bringing it. And the Lord, the Son of God, who is the Son of Man, He is worthy. He is perfect. He is righteous. And He is just. 
The Lord is worthy to bring judgment upon the earth. And why is he worthy? We're gonna, it describes that's really the main point is that. And, he, and it describes why he's worthy in, in two, two different ways. The first is this. The Lord Jesus is worthy because he is the promised king. The Lord Jesus is worthy because he is the promised king. Take a look back in Revelation chapter 5, if you have your, if you have your Bible. Revelation chapter 5, we'll take a look at verse 5. And we're going we're gonna to split that up in between two points. Revelation 5, verse 5, this is one of the elders. So John has just been weeping. He can't find anyone who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And one of the elders who's up there in this vision, he, he points to... He, he points something out to John. He says this. He says, Then one of the elders said to me, John, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And we'll pause right there. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Here's the one, this is the one instance where the Lord is spoken of as the Lion of Judah. It's the one instance in the New Testament. Most of the time you'll see Jesus referred to as a lamb. But this description here of what you're seeing is the Lord Jesus described as the Lion of Judah. This comes from a prophecy way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. So if you're in Genesis, Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 through 10, there's this prophecy of this Messiah. See, what happens is in the, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks about this Messiah that's going to come. And it starts right from the beginning. Right actually up in the, from, the, from the garden, right in the beginning. But um, in Genesis 49, we're going to talk about this prophecy right here. And they're, just, and they're talking to, to Judah. And he's prophesying something over Judah. And he says this. And Genesis 49, verse 9. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter, now, now watch this. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. The Lion of Judah is a powerful king. The Lion of Judah is a powerful king. The description here that we'll see here speaks of the promised king as powerful, as mighty, He's coming. There, there will be this Messiah coming, and he is powerful. He will be a king. And the Lord Jesus is powerful because he is God incarnate. He is God in human flesh. And he is worthy to open the scroll because of his power. And second, he's worthy here because the obedience of the peoples belong to him. See, this promised king, this king that's going to come, this lion from the tribe of Judah coming from this, coming from this lion of Judah, he's going to be powerful. He's going to be mighty. And he's going to be worthy. 
He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of the obedience of the peoples. The obedience of the peoples belongs to the Lion of Judah. He's worthy to open the scroll and bring judgment because the obedience of the peoples belong to him. And then the Lord Jesus is also the root of David. He's the Lion of Judah. He is the root of David. You can see this in a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says in, in 11, Isaiah 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 10. On that day, talking about this future day, on that day the root of Jesse, it's also the root of David, same thing, Jesse is from Jesse comes David. On that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. The Lord Jesus, he's this messianic king, the promised king coming. He is powerful. He is mighty because he is God incarnate. And the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. It is his right And his, and he is glorious. The Lord's kingship, when you think of this, it's kind of like this scene from the musical Camelot. There's this musical called Camelot. And in this opening scene they, they, uh, of Camelot, there's this uh, King Arthur. It talks about King Arthur. And King Arthur is there. He's standing in a field, and he's dressed in peasant clothes. And if you look at him, you have no idea that he's king. In fact, in this, in this play, uh, one of the people to, to meet him has no clue that he's really king over all of Camelot. Because he didn't look like a king. He doesn't, he doesn't look like a king should look. He's not how I expect a king to be. And when the Lord Jesus came in his first coming, his, he was missed because he, he didn't look the way that they were expecting. See, in their mind, they had thought one way. But the Lord Jesus comes looking like us. Yet, kingship is not about looks. Kingship is about who you are, what you have the rights to. And the Lord Jesus has the right of the obedience of the peoples, has the right to open the scroll, has the right to break the seals because the Lord Jesus is worthy. He's worthy because he is the promised king. And second thing you'll see here, is that the Lord Jesus is worthy because he has conquered the world. The Lord Jesus is worthy because he has conquered the world. In Revelation 5, verse 5, when, when the elder is describing the Lion of Judah, he says, he tells John, do not weep. Look, 
the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, what has the Lord conquered? What does that mean? What does it mean when we, when we read this and, and, and this elder is telling John this, this thing about the, this, this conquering king? Because this is kingship language. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David. This is, this is conversation about a king. And it is a king who has conquered. Jesus describes in at least two places how he has conquered. John, the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this to his disciples, the book of John, verse, chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. Why? I have conquered the world. The Lord, well, he describes himself as someone who has conquered the world system. This, this world system that comes at us, that opposes, that, that is against God, that, that is, that is at, at war, at fight with the, with the ways of God. The Lord Jesus has conquered. He says, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be afraid. You can have courage in Jesus Christ because he has conquered. And Luke chapter 11 is this other, this, 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 it's similar, but it's in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to describe how he has conquered our enemy, Satan. How he has conquered the enemy. In Luke chapter 11, verse 22, he's, he's describing this, this, uh, this, this person who's, who's strong. Uh, he's going to talk about someone stronger. In Luke 11, verse 22, he says, But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Now take a look at this. This is interesting. Watch this. But when one stronger, who is the one stronger? It's Christ, Lord Jesus. When, one, when, the, when the one who is stronger comes, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes, he attacks, he overpowers him. That word for overpower is the same word that we find the word conquer. He overpowers, he conquers him. Jesus is stronger than the enemy we face. It's why John says in, in, in 1 John 4, verse 4, a, a, a verse we know, it says, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Because the Lord Jesus has already conquered. He's stronger. He's mighty. He has conquered the world system that opposes us. He has conquered our enemy. And then what does the conquering king look like? This is interesting, right? Because I remember I, I said sometimes kingship doesn't look the way we expect it. What does the conquering king, what does he look like? If you're back in Revelation chapter 5, that very next verse after verse 5, verse 6, 
the description. He's going to have this, John is going to have this vision of the conquering king. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. What's important here is he, that Jesus, has, it's, he's like a slaughtered lamb. He's not dead, he's alive. He's, he has conquered death, he has conquered the grave, and he is standing, he is mighty, he is victorious. He is conquered. And what's interesting is the centrality of the cross. It's interesting how the cross is central to all of history, past, present, and future. The cross is where we find healing. The cross is where we find restoration. The cross represents freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from death. It's freedom from the judgment that I should be taking on. I am free to worship God and I am free to be in his presence because the king has conquered. The king conquered in my life. It's, it's interesting, it's, uh, and, and, I, and, I just, and, I, and I'll tell you about that for a little bit, but I, I just want to bring this up in verse 9, just how the, the, the cross is reason for worship and it's reason for praise. And so I, I, don't, want, I don't want you to miss this. In verse 9, Revelation 5, verse 9, And they sang a new song. You are worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and from every language and from every people and from every nation. cross sets us free. In 2006, I was, I was working as a police officer. I was working in the NYPD. I worked in the 46th Precinct in the Bronx, New York. I felt a little bit of that New York come out, the Bronx. The Bronx. And I was, I was working as a police officer in the NYPD, and um, my partner that day, he had a uh, he was dating this girl, and there was a pastor that had done the funeral, just, just how that connection happens. So he wants to go to, to a church in the, in the area of the, of the 46th Precinct. And I just said, ah, whatever, let's go. Let's go do that real quick. I wasn't interested in this. And he, we went to the, the church, and he's standing there. He's talking with the pastor. And the pastor turns to me, and, and the pastor says, 
What are you going to tell God when you die? I just thought this this passage was rude. Like, who does that? <laughs> like, I don't. And so I, this was my answer. I said, I, I don't know. I protected and served. And then I, I, when you're when you're a police officer, what happens is you you learn these looks with with the other person. You kind of have to get these nonverbal cues, right? So I learned this look, and so me and my partner, I worked for for a while, and so. My look to him said, let's get away from the crazy church lady and let's go get pizza and get out of here. And we did. It worked. But what, what happened that day is when, when we left, I went home that night and this thing bothered me. It bothered me because I knew how pathetic an answer it was. It was pathetic. Because really, what are we going to tell God when we die? It's pathetic. I didn't, this was terrible. I wasn't going to tell my wife. That was the last thing I was going to do. Give her ammunition. You need to think about that. And that Sunday, my wife wakes me up. This happened on a Wednesday. That Sunday, my wife wakes me up. We hadn't been to church in years. My wife wakes me up that Sunday and says, do you want to go to church? And I said, okay. <laughs> I went to church that Sunday, and, you know, as, 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 a, as a, someone who's preaching now, I'd like to say, man, that preacher was just giving this amazing sermon, and I was just so, so engulfed. But really, I don't remember what he said. But love the guy but I don't remember what he said but what, what what was what was happening was there was this real battle within me there was a fight it was a struggle happening within me and I, I was coming to this crossroads I was coming to a place where I, I needed to to know which way I was going and that next day because I'm stubborn the next day, I was in my office, and I'm praying. And I think, it's either one of two things. Either I'm losing my mind, or God is real, and he wants a hold of my life. I surrendered and surrendered to Christ. God changed my life. And it was the power of God to break this stubborn heart. And it set me free. And God wants to conquer in your life. See, the cross is powerful. God still uses the cross to show us that we are valuable, to show us that we are loved, and to show us that I don't have to live, it, live eternally apart from him. That God wants me with, in, with him, in his house, with him. 
and I can be free through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, he is worthy. He's worthy to bring judgment on the earth. The Bible talks about this future judgment coming, that it's, it's going to come on, and, and in this process as the Lord ultimately brings us to a place of the millennial kingdom and the new heaven and new earth, and there's this restoration. And there is only one worthy to do that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy because he is the promised king. He's powerful. He is mighty. He is God incarnate. And the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. And the Lord Jesus is worthy because he has conquered the world. He has conquered the world through the cross. And the cross is a story that continues to change lives. It continues to change hearts. It shows us a God. There's a God who is just. There's a God who is holy and righteous. And there's a God that judges. And there's a God that has taken on that judgment in your place. And when I look at the cross, I can say, there's a God that loves you. There's a God that cares for you. There's a God that wants to set you free. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I'd love to talk with you after service and love to pray with you. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy to bring judgment on the earth because he's the promised king and he has conquered the world. We're going to pray and then there'll be a doxology. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much, Lord. Thank you, God, that you love us, Lord, that you care for us, that you set us free through the cross. Lord, I pray, God, if there's anyone here that needs to make that commitment of faith in Christ to you, Lord, that they would do that today, that they wouldn't wait. Lord, because you are coming again. We trust you, God. We love you, Lord. May you have all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, Lord, in this church and in our lives because you are worthy. May we obey you and trust you, God, with all our hearts because the obedience belongs to you. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your mercy, for your love, for your faithfulness, and for your justice. Lord, and we pray, God, that you'll be glorified in our life today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.